You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure. Lou, let's talk a little bit about um, fantasy fiction. I think that in this uh, upcoming year, we're going to see a lot more of it and a lot more of this kind of hardcore, um, very realistic fantasy fiction that that is uh, selling well, I hope, and it's really expanding people's notions of what the genre can do. I agree, and I also think that what we're seeing is a return to swords and sorcery, specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I remember that's the kind of stuff that, that I cut my teeth on, and as a and if we're looking to bring in new readers, a, a whole new uh, generation of geeky males, <laughs> then you can't do much better than uh, Michael Moorcock and uh, Elric with his uh, magic sword there, eh? Absolutely, and, and you know Del Rey is finishing up their reissue of the Elric. Mm-hmm. Series, which you know, all lavishly illustrated, new interior illustrations. Tor is about to bring out this month or next month the first of his Hawkmoon books at, with as reissues, with interior illustrations again. We've got all the Conan books back on the shelf, all with interior illustrations. Hmm, maybe interior illustrations is a trend in the movie books. <laughs> um, I think so, <laughs> huh? You know, I mean, this began. I mean, we had it, it's been already a couple of years since Michael Chabon wrote Gentleman of the Road. You know, suddenly there's a flurry of sword and sorcery fiction coming out. Uh, we're very excited. We picked up Sam Sykes' Tomb of the Undergates. I don't know if you've heard about this one. Uh, no, no. Tell me about he, it. He comes out from Gallant's first. Okay. But everyone will wait for our edition in September, won't they? I hope so. Well, uh, now, Gallant is a, that's uh, Simon Spanton. That guy's really got his pulse on stuff, I think. Uh, I love Simon, and I think Simon probably has the closest to my own taste of anybody in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, he, if, if Simon likes it, I'm pretty much guaranteed to like it, too. And myself as well. So tell us about this new fantasy series. Well, Sam is a new writer. He's actually American, although he sold into, uh, into um, Gallant first. Uh, 25 years old. Now, did you get a copy of, this, of, of his uh, stuff from his agent at some point? I, I'm curious because this is, uh, reminds me of uh, another guy who's successful, critical acclaim, uh, Richard Morgan. He couldn't sell his book here, sold it to Gallant. And I mean, you know, this is a book set in 21st century San Francisco. I mean, holy I did cow. get it from the agent and the recommendation of, of Simon. Hmm. Um, and it actually had already sold in Canada, France, Germany, um, Britain, and uh, Holland, I think. Really? <laughs> before we saw it. Well, and tell us a little bit about what it's about. Well, it's the first of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And it is... You didn't hear my eyes roll when you said trilogy, right? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it, what can you do? But it's, um, oh, God, I, it would be my pick to be the second coming of Joe Abercrombie, basically. Oh, really? Mm. Uh, it's very violent, very gritty, very darkly funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts out, they're a team of adventurers, and this word adventurer has a, a real negative connotation. And they're on a boat protecting a priest who's hired them as bodyguards when the boat is attacked by pirates. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just about managed to turn the table on the pirates when the pirates' very Lovecraftian supernatural help shows up. Mm. Oh, that's all right. I, I, I'm good for some monsters. I don't sounds... want to say 
too much about it, mm-hmm. but after the frogmen take over the boat, it's, it's revealed that the priest is carrying something, and I'm probably not spoiling anything to um, say it's the eponymously titled Tome of the Undergates. <laughs> 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 and, um, <laughs> and we've got to get the book back from the frogmen. And it's just one giant action-packed... You know, it, it reads very much like Joe Abercrombie or Scott Lynch, kind mm-hmm. of sits right between the two of them. And um, it's, it's got that wonderful, wonderful uh, way where the main characters, when they're not busy fighting the pirates, are figuring out ways to stab each other in the back. Mm-hmm. And it's just hysterically funny. Now, th- this sounds like a, very much like a return to the kind of classic Conan-esque uh, fantasy uh, uh, of my youth. And, and to a certain extent, too, uh, not, not unlike Moorcock, where you have... You know, kind of a surreal realm of the fantastic and uh, the greedy sword and sorcery all mixed together. It absolutely is. And, you know, one of the things that struck me lately is the way that, you know, original sword and sorcery really had that Lovecraftian flavor. I mean, Howard was friends with with Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Bill Moore was friends with Lovecraft. And a lot of the original weird tales fiction were weird Tales. Yeah, yeah, and Fritz <laughs> Leiber, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's why China Mieville called the new weird the new weird, is because it was a throwback to the old weird. Mm-hmm. And I love the weird aspect that's coming into some of this stuff. And that's nice. In addition yeah. to the action. You know, I mean, it's, this is a, this novel is, uh, it was huge, it's like 160,000 words or more, maybe 200,000 words. So it's not, um, they're not small books. You know, I don't know that you can do... And that's three to six hundred pages, that's about six hundred pages by my Yeah, it's yeah. massive. It's massive. Yeah, it was, it was, it was around 200,000 that I think back on it. You know, the kind of thing that takes me like two weeks to read. This is the problem with publishing primarily fantasy now. Is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think the perfect length for a science fiction novel is about 283 pages. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect just, length for all novels. <laughs> well, you know, but you get these 500-page fantasy books, and suddenly the time it takes me to read and acquire them doubles or triples or quadruples. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, yeah, just wonderful, and I think it, it, it's completely back in that tradition. And then I think we talked last time about the Cardinal's Blade, Pierre Pavel, mm-hmm. which is the, basically the Three Musketeers with dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, just magnificent swashbuckling sword and sorcery. And I just picked up, did we talk about Ari Marmel? I don't know. What you did... won't see this one for a while, because it's still being written, but it's the Goblin Corps. It's what it's like to be... Oh, yeah, yeah, in, you did tell me we about did, this. We did, yeah, in a Dark Lord's army. Right, right, a, and, uh, a grunt in the Dark Lord's army, huh? Exactly. They're actually an elite squadron, but they're still mm-hmm. grunts. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're not good guys. They're not good guys at all. They're, and they won't be good guys. They're good bad guys, or bad good guys. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one thing I wanted to, to talk about in terms of this fantasy is now are you guys doing mass market paperbacks we are uh, a little at a time mm-hmm. we did joel shepherd's uh cassandra kreshnov series we had brought those out in trade and mm-hmm. we brought them out in mass market and they've done really really well yeah because i'm thinking that when you look at the you know the adolescent market they they like that mass market mm-hmm. paperback because it can really uh get the wear and tear uh, but you know um as we're moving it into 2010 and into 2011, and especially with this much-anticipated announcement of an Apple tablet, um, I think we're going to look at a lot more of 
beginning readers, you know, being willing to even read because they can read something on their iPhone or their iTablet. And, and so I wanted to talk to you about this. To my mind, the the Kindle is, I, I never liked the Kindle. I thought it was rather ugly. And it's not something that my kid, who's 20, almost 21, um, is going to pick up. But an Apple tablet, that's a different matter entirely because that's something, you know, he could play World of Warcraft on. And when he's done with World of Warcraft, it might be nice if he could, you know, slip into the new Joe Abercrombie novel and not uh, uh, unheard of crossover. So I'm wondering how you as a, a publisher look at this um, upcoming ebook market. I mean, are, are you guys doing ebooks yet? We are. We're on the Kindle with about 35 titles right now. Okay. Now, how are, do they sell well? They do. Mm. Um, now, it's relative. It's still a small market compared to overall book sales. Mm -hmm. But I've actually been pretty impressed with how well uh, certain titles are doing. And for us, the science fiction is outselling the fantasy, which is interesting. I remember the Audible.com told me that science fiction outsells fantasy for them as well. Really? So it may be that science fiction readers, and this is broad generalization, theorizing with absolutely no data, mm. uh, which is what I'm good at. Um, <laughs> talk at my butt. Um, it may be that science fiction writers, readers are more apt to embrace electronic media than fantasy readers. I don't know. Mm. But for us, uh, our Mike Resnick Starship series is doing really, really well on the Kindle. Really? And uh, as is Paul McCauley's The Quiet War. Mm, mm. Um, but uh, we're letting, you know, Amazon is doing the conversion. I think we've authorized about 68 titles total, mm -hmm. and they're uploading them at their own pace according to rules of logic. They make no sense to me. So sometimes the second or third book in the series goes up before the first book. I think they're tracking people who actually hit that little button, I'd like to read this on the Kindle, and so people already have the first or clicking it for the second book, and it's getting more hits than the first book is. Mm. But... Um, and we're also uh, getting see. up on Barnes & Noble. Mm -hmm. uh, it's maddeningly slow. I think there's three books up right now without their covers. And uh, at a certain point, it's going to... But Barnes & Noble seems to be taking their time and doing better conversions. Mm -hmm. um, so at some point, I'll turn on the computer and there'll be 68 titles up on B&N. Um, you know, e-books are still very early days, even though it's moving really, really, really rapidly. I, I, you know, and it looks like between B and N and Amazon, they've set the price at nine ninety nine, and then, you know, it looks like EPUB is going to be the, the dominant format for everyone who's not using a proprietary DRM constrained version. Mm -hmm. Yada yada yada. I still feel like we're not there yet, and that the ebook landscape two years from now is going to look radically different from the ebook landscape right. right now, or at least uh, that it's still it's still early, too early to call winners and and. And and uh, and preferences. Now, for myself, I'm using Stanza on iPhone. I'm terrified now that that um, Amazon has bought Stanza that they're going to change it. Cause oh, I really? Because I have, I am too, and I and I like it. I thought it was great. I read a, a Neil Azure story on it, you know, and it's nice to have uh, have it. If you're standing in line at the bank, you can make a, read another few minutes of Neil Asher's giant monsters rampaging across the landscape. I don't take paper submissions anymore. I do all my submissions as Word documents. It's mm -hmm. environmental. It's easy. I'm carrying 60 in my phone right now, all of which I should have read, like, you know, last year. Mm -hmm. um, such is life. <laughs> but it, it's so comfortable. And, you know, I found that, you know, people argue that having a reading device that is a phone, you're going to have too many distractions around the reading. Mm -hmm. But I actually find it's less distracting. If I'm sitting at a table with a manuscript... I'm wondering what's going on on my desktop. Oh, my God, is, is there a fire burning somewhere that I need to put out and then I'm not noticing it because I'm mm -hmm. not in front of my computer? 
Whereas I can switch over to my email at every chapter break with my thumb, see that there are no fires, or if there are, put them out quickly, and then switch right back into the manuscript without mm-hmm. standing up. That's nice. Yeah. And, and so I actually think it increases productivity to, to have that dual functionality or multifunctionality. And I think that uh, if Apple can keep up, it's, you know, uh, Apple really kicks everybody else's butt in terms of design. And, you know, the Sony e-reader at least doesn't make me want to hide it. The, the Kindle, I just, God, I just think the thing looks ugly as heck. And I don't think the display is anything to write home about either. The, the Sony looks a little bit better. I saw that when I talked to Charles Strauss a while back. And, uh, you know, it looked a little bit better. But still, I don't think I'd really want to read on it. And so I'm looking forward to this Apple thing because I think that looks like something I might be able to read on. I agree. I, of, of all the ones out right now, the Nook is the only one that looked attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked my mother into buying my father one for Christmas, but of course he hasn't gotten it yet, so I haven't playtested it. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, probably Nook version 2.0 is going to be more attractive than Nook version 1, of course. I, I think the tablet, that's probably the one for me, mm-hmm. You know, depending on what it does. But I, I don't know why you'd want anything but the tablet when the tablet comes out. Right, right. And that may, you know, I'm, you know, it seems that it might have the possibility to change the publishing landscape in the same way the iPod changed the music landscape. But I think that the publishers, and you can answer me on this, are a little bit more prepared. They, you guys, are you guys like terrified of electronic piracy and, and file sharing and all this stuff? Case by case and day by day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, um, and we have been pirated a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the first time I turned on Stanza, a little button came up. that so-and-so is trying to connect to your computer right now. And I'm like, what? I just got this thing. Really? Um, you know, I mean, I, 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 you got Lou, the reader, and Lou, the employee. Uh, and, and we have slightly different opinions. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't buy my music from iTunes right now. I buy it from Amazon because it's DRM-free. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand... I also don't swap music. I feel strongly about that, and mm-hmm. I can't say that everyone does. And you know, one of my authors, I won't say who, uh, is is constantly sending me DVDs of pirated movies, mm-hmm. and I'm like, quit doing that. <laughs> you know, just, I don't need them. Don't send them. I'm not opening them. Uh, I'm, you know, I know you'd be upset if someone was sending me DVDs of your books, um, and it. At the same time, you know, I like I like the Barnes and Noble e-reader because the the, the, the DRM is simply your, the, whatever credit card you have on file with Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. and so that allows me to lend the book to my wife or my kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he's old enough to read it, but you know, I wouldn't give it to. I might give it to my best friend or my father or something, but I wouldn't just give a thousand people my credit card number. No, no, that's so, an interesting way to do it. Yeah. That's, it seems a very self-limiting uh, manner to uh... exactly, you know, and. I'm sure there are ways around it, but with any of this stuff, it's not it's not about you know making it impregnable. It's about making it inconvenient. Right, right, so it's and more also convenient for most people to buy it. Yeah, and I, I it, it strikes me too. Yeah, that with uh, this Apple isolate and you know publishers pretty much geared up and ready to go to embrace this technology. It's not the other thing that happened too with music was the the music uh, production companies, you know, the record companies. They had no, they didn't had no clue what to do. Now, you know, the publishers have had a lot, 
had a lot of time to learn from this. Um, would you be selling? So you you won't be selling direct to the public. You'll be going through Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or some. Um, we don't have the apparatus in place to sell direct at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I would like to see us do, but mm-hmm. it's just too early to talk about that. So you're not you don't have a problem with having your uh, as my friend described MP3s that your co- production costs ratcheted down to just above zero. <laughs> you know, it, it there's still production costs. Mm-hmm. There's still acquisitions costs, editing costs, layout costs, cover art costs. You know, it's not it's not a zero cost. I think mm-hmm. that's that's not a, an accurate assessment. Um, but on the other hand, it makes it a lot easier to put full-color illustrations in the books. Yeah. I mean, that's where, again, the tablet comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think everything will be cover soon, will be um, color soon. And I think that, you know, there was, I've been talking with a lot of artists. I, mean, I serve as art director, too, and I know a lot of artists are scared about what happens if the book goes away, what, you know, what, what value can they add, and, and will they still be needed? And I think more than ever, you know, if, if Paper books become the, the the you know no longer the dominant form of book of book consumption of reading. Then I think websites become all important to sell those books. And mm-hmm. I think we'll probably see uh, not just you know cover art, but scenes from the book and websites where you can go and play around the world and yada yada yada. Yeah, and that's a, and I have to say that one of the things that, that I like about running my site is that I have an endless source of fantastic art. That people, the, the people who produce that art, they want me to put it up there. So that's, I mean, that I think that uh, the artists should not worry. They should, they should embrace this as much as anybody else. I think they will probably make out like bandits in the long run. Agreed. Now, um, you mentioned that uh, your science fiction readers were embracing this technology more than uh, fantasy, and you talked about Mike Resnick. Um, what kind of, you know, science? Fiction has, you know, kind of uh, gone in, in a bunch of different directions of, of late. Do you see any trends in science fiction other than paranormal romance? Because, I mean, I think macro trends are, are steampunk and vampires and mm-hmm. zombies. But, you know, we're talking straight science fiction. You've thrown me with this question. Um, I think that I'm going to go out on a limb and say the return of adventure for the Castle A. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've had a real hit on our hands with Christine Catherine Roosh's Diving Into the Wreck, mm-hmm. uh, which, oddly enough, all of the reviewers are comparing to classic Star Trek TNG and mm-hmm. Babylon 5. Really? And I find those comparisons really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a big audience for space-based adventure fiction, mm-hmm. and that may actually be a big thing coming up. Yeah, well, I, the the return of uh, space opera, I mean, space opera's been returning and for, for a while. It doesn't, doesn't exactly go away, um, but I think that as we see, you know, the new Star Trek uh, series uh, of movies uh, retooled up and fired up, I think that, there's, that they are going to pull some, some uh, maybe some books in their wake. Well, yeah, and I don't mean necessarily the new space opera, because the new space opera was, was a trend that began in 2001. Mm-hmm. And when I think that, I'm thinking Charlie Strauss and Ian Banks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more, um, I, yeah, I, I think we're, we're talking something that's much more Star Trek influenced. Mm, interesting. So. Lou, what other kind of trends do you see in science fiction? 
Well, let me think. You know, Rick, actually, I'm an idiot because adventure-based science fiction inspired by things like TNG is nothing new. I mean, that's what Scalzi was doing with the old man's war universe for years. And mm-hmm. if it was, you know, new, then he wouldn't be the creative consultant on Stargate Universe right now. So that's not what I mean. Um, I can't believe I missed this. If it was a snake, it would have bit me. I mean, Jesus Christ, we've got John Carter of Mars in production right now. We have the Dragon Riders of Avatar in theaters. <laughs> even, the, you know, even the recent Star Trek movie knew enough to put a sword in Sulu's hand and have Kirk running through the snow chased by a big, scary Wayne Barlow monster. Mm-hmm. It's Sword and Planet that's coming back. Sword that's and Planet. I, mean. I like that. Opera, sword and Planet. Watch the Edgar Rice Burroughs movie spark a ton of it both in film and in print. That's what I think is going to be the next trend. Um, that's the one I'm excited about. That's what I mean. Sword and Planet. Now, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. Is it S.M. Sterling who has these wonderful series of books uh, in which the premise is that uh, Venus is really like the way it was in the Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> in the Edgar Rice Burroughs books? <laughs> the, the Court of the Crimson King and yeah. um, the Sky People, yes. Yeah, well, uh, somebody better get those into production quick. I thought those were really a lot of fun, and I think uh, that, uh, like you say, Sword and Planet, let's go. Well, we'll be tracking you through the year and speaking with you again. I've been speaking with Lou Anders. He's the editor of Pyre Books. Thank you for joining me, Lou. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.